Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. I'm Sean McLean, partner at Hydrogen Struggles and member of the Global Industrial and Financial Officers Practices. Our Canadian Leadership Series podcast provide timely and relevant insights on what organizations and leaders are thinking about to stay competitive, both in Canada and on the global stage. In today's podcast, I'm excited to be talking to Bushan Ivaturi. Bushan is Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Enbridge a multinational pipeline company headquartered in Calgary, Alberta. At Enbridge, Bouchon leads the functions of information technology, cybersecurity, business process simplification, operational technology, data, and digital. Bouchon has shaped the digital strategy for the company, including the launch of Technology Plus Innovation Labs, all while transforming technology services into a strategic enabler for Enbridge. Bouchon brings over two decades of international leadership in the business of technology, and experience from shaping and leading transformation in multiple industries with diverse cultures and in different business cycles through his previous roles at Maersk and General Electric. Bouchon, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, thank you, Sean, and glad to be here. So our listeners are likely curious how it is that your international career brought you to Canada. What is it that attracted you to this role and to Enbridge? When I was exploring the opportunity with Enbridge, first thing I felt was that my ideals around integrity, humility, curiosity, openness were aligned with the company. Uh, Enbridge is a large multinational organization, and Enbridge had at that point in time embarked on a great deal of change and integration from the post-merger activities. So it had doubled in market cap. What I saw in there was an opportunity to play to my strengths. So it was to perform and to transform And I felt by shaping and leading meaningful change in areas like strategy to operations and behaviors and certain initiatives that would unify and digitize the business, I could make a difference. So I was attracted to making that positive impact. And it was in turning some of the challenges into opportunities. You know, for example, in areas like technology and and its service delivery and integration, but also doing that while delivering the financial outcomes, such as getting to a top quartile cost uh, performance. Another attractive element of Enbridge to me was Enbridge is a critical part of North America infrastructure and the economy. And I felt being a critical energy infrastructure company brings with it a fair share of scrutiny and challenges. So it's an area where I could add some value in areas like improving safety and reliability and operations, but also risk management and cybersecurity. So some of that does entail working with external stakeholders like uh, regulatory bodies and government agencies. So in the process, I felt that I could create some opportunities for the people to contribute in a way that will make a big difference to the company. One example was to shape the digital strategy for the company, but we did that by creating a mechanism for strategy execution. So the people are able to apply technology and innovation, which is producing positive outcomes, both for the individual, and that's through upskilling or getting development, but also for the organization. And we are seeing the returns in improved returns on invested capital, but also delivering our embedded growth targets 
on a personal note, I've been fortunate to have an international set of experiences, but that is because of my family. I'm so grateful for the sacrifices they've made, which afforded me those opportunities. And my relocations, for example, resulted in my son attending over eight different schools. Moving to Canada got us closer to family. It also gave my son that stability for final years of high school. That's an interesting journey, and we're delighted that you've chosen to bring your family to Canada. I just couldn't agree more that Enbridge is a critical infrastructure company on many levels. So just delighted to see you bring your international experience to Canada and to Enbridge in particular. Bhushan, one of the great things about your background is you've had the opportunity to work with large international organizations at transformative inflection points. Based on your broad background and experience, what are the most exciting growth opportunities you see in Canada and globally? And what types of leaders do you think those will require? Well, I'll say this, that it's an amazing time for experiencing change. And I'm sure every generation says that, but I feel what we are experiencing, meeting the globalization, localization, energy shocks, but innovations that have been enabled through the internet, the movement and social justice and equity, impact investing. So all of that, what I feel is not just material to Canada, but globally. And what is universal is the increased pace of change. And that increased pace of change in a large part is also due to an increased pace in innovation in technology and more specifically digital technologies. So I feel that this pace of change was going to continue to drive more business disruption, which in turn is going to create opportunities for those businesses that are willing and able to adapt. And the intersection of energy and technology to me is a great place to make a positive impact. So energy is critical to improve the quality of life and the standard of living. And I think when I combine that with technology, which is critical not just to solve environmental challenges, but create solutions that are going to improve governance, for example, transparency, accessibility, and equity. And that can be a force for good for society. So I think in terms of leaders, what is important are leaders who are able to demonstrate being both innovative and driving excellence at the same time. Innovation and experimentation helps drive the growth and optionality for the business, and excellence helps drive unlocking efficiencies, and in the energy industry, more specifically, improving safety and reliability. Bhushan, that's great insight, and we couldn't be more aligned. One of the things we talk a lot about as a firm is the notion of agility, which we break down into foresight, learning adaptability and resilience. And we just couldn't agree more that the pace of change demands that leaders really have that agility. Thank you. You've held the title of CIO with GE, Maersk, and now Enbridge. While CIO can mean different things at different organizations, it's safe to assume that digital transformation has consistently been one of your prominent mandates. What leadership strategies and skills have you discovered are imperative to success? And what are the biggest derailers as you lead these transformations? What's worked for me is to be a business leader with a deep passion for technology and innovation. And so I've operated at that intersection of technology, innovation, economics, finance, and found that it's an important ingredient for success in all transformations. I often say it's good to know your trade and having a passion for technology, innovation, and systems thinking is not a bad thing. So one skill for success has been to be effective at integrating across business and technology. And integration is more than just being a translator, because it's not just strategy and plans, it's also the execution that produces results. And the ability to integrate across functions has helped me build the mandate for the application of technology and innovation 
to drive, be it business optimization or business transformation. So a passion for technology, I believe, helps stay current and understand the different nuances of how innovation price performance can be applied in the context of an industry in a specific business situation. One strategy that has served me well is to switch between different personas. In the early stage, for example, I'm more about piloting and energizing others on a strategic vision. And then during later stages, for example, scaling the operation, I shift more to being a collaborator and a producer. And one derailer is not figuring out how the clock ticks in an organization. So it's both what makes the clock tick, but also working with the speed of the clock, which is when to speed up and when to slow down. Interesting you say that, Bhushan, you know, one of the real key themes in our functional practices, whether that's technology, finance, human resources, is business partnering. And it's really key that our leaders build upon a foundation, which is understanding and then ultimately enabling the business. It sounds like that's something that you've consistently done within your prior mandates. Bhushan, the energy industry, as we've talked about previously, is at a critical juncture across the globe. Specifically within Canada, we are seeing leading organizations taking a far more public stance on ESG matters than we've seen previously. I personally believe there is more awareness needed that Canadian energy companies are global leaders in R&D and clean tech investment. In your view, what must Canadian leaders do more or less of to initiate productive dialogue and engagement in energy transition and ESG? Yeah, Sean, I think the media chatter does have a lot of people believing that energy companies are stodgy or have technology from the dark ages or stuck in the past, but that's not quite the truth at Enbridge. We are also quite focused on doing a part in leading in energy transition. So there are four intrinsically linked initiatives, global movements around environmental and social causes. And what we do is follow this pathway. And and the four things are about modernization and innovation. We're doing this by upgrading older and less efficient equipment in our operations and also enhancing our maintenance programs to reduce emissions. Technology is the core and innovation is the core of this. Decarbonizing the use of energy. So our own application of new energies like solar self-powered projects is helping us reduce the energy, the carbon footprint. We're investing more in renewables and lower carbon energy. And then we're also doing our bit to drive the offsets and carbon reduction through appropriate credits. So I think for us, you know, it's all about making sure that companies like Enbridge and other energy companies, not just lag, but play a leading role and an important role in this transition. And it's about making sure that we're leveraging all our assets to provide an energy system and make sure that we can transition in an effective and an elegant way so we can provide the demand, we can satisfy the demand and provide safe and reliable and affordable energy. So just building on, I think we're also making a lot of progress when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the energy sector, and more specifically in oil and gas. For example, we have strengthened diversity of our workforce at Enbridge, and we've achieved 31% female representation overall. And now we have accelerated our time to achieve 40% representation from 2028. We've brought it into 2025. And we also have appropriate goals, be it for representation of ethnic and racial groups, people with disabilities, and Indigenous And we're going to continue to not just set these targets, but take specific actions. So 
Beyond the broad set of goals, what we're doing is we're applying technology to help find insights, to fine tune some actions that we're taking. So for example, in my own shop, what we've done is we've launched an initiative called Women in Technology. And it's really based on data and analytics, and it's intentional to strengthen the pipeline for first-time supervisory roles and drive up the representation for women in managerial roles. And that's key to driving sustainability that we're looking to achieve. Now, another initiative is I've started to really have intentional early career talent identification and the representation in those cohorts is very energizing. It shows some good proof points on diversity numbers, on equity. We have 40% gender diversity, 60% racial, and it's further strengthening the culture of inclusion that we're trying to advance. I'm just thrilled to hear your commentary on DEI. Just as we advise our clients, it's not only the right thing to do, it has the added benefit of demonstrably driving improved decision making and business performance. So great to see leading Canadian companies be leaders in this space. You've had a great deal of experience with M&A and in particular post-merger integration. Always an intense leadership challenge. Based on the integrations you've led, what are the critical leadership lessons to drive value through business combination? I think it's all about human capital and An important job then is to help people find a way so they can apply their energies in the right direction. Now, my experience being on both sides of this trade is that it's never as good as it is sold to be, but it's never as bad as it's rumored to be. I think acquisitions bring an emotional change, especially for the acquired. Most people are, through the process of interview and selection, generally opt in, and that is not the case for a person who is acquired because the decision has been made for them. So I think recognizing the emotional states and having a plan to navigate those states is important. Some other tactics that I've found helpful is to be as transparent as possible as soon as it is possible. For example, beat the deal rationale and the economics of the deal and the expectation for synergies, be it on the top line or the bottom line or both. And to also resist, if you will, initiatives, for example, like embarking on a culture change. Instead, focus on behaviors, which to me are more visible. They can be easily described and generally understood versus culture, which is often hidden. It's complex, it's contentious, and and takes years to shift. So here again, being transparent helps in that if there is a predetermined approach to integration, then it'll be important to share. It could be a bear hug. It could be to harmonize. It could be a reverse integration into the ways of working of the acquired company. But at the end of the day, real sustainable change only happens from within. So accepting that despite all good intent and effort, not every person will opt to be a part of the future, but it's important to just help people constantly enroll themselves in. And that is key to that intrinsic motivation, which is key to the ownership mindset to unlock the values of a merger or an acquisition. It's really profound to hear that after all of your experience in M&A, that the human factor is central to your playbook. And it is certainly consistent with our experience. The deals almost always made sense financially or, or operationally. It's the human factor that is too often overlooked. That's great insight. From your international experience, what lessons and experience have been most valuable in shaping your own leadership approach and style in your current role? Following up on that, what have you observed in your three and a half years as an executive in Canada that is uniquely Canadian? And how did you navigate with your team? 
Well, so I have a situational leadership style, and it's an adaptive style that just helps me integrate some very diverse set of stakeholder needs, and then helps me employ the right leadership approach to deliver the outcomes. What has served me well in my current role is dealing with a situation that involved both a turnaround and a realignment. And so these are two different situations that demand some diametrically opposed leadership styles. What I've really come to appreciate is being good at the and leadership is helpful. So for example, I say, be kind and be true. So, you know, the kind truth in leadership, well, also it does not have to be the brutal truth. The other is I demand being nice, but also demand being good at what it is that we do and how we do it. Another dimension is care, caring for the well-being of people and caring for the productivity of the workforce. So to me, it's both relationships and results. And one thing that I do that has served me well is a tact of falling in love with the people and the culture of where I am. So what this helps me do is really see the world from the eyes on the ground and meeting people where they are and then finding the strengths and also finding what we have in common rather than amplifying differences is helpful. All in all, it's helped me build on what is a shared set of interests to unlock value quickly. And then it focuses on the forward-looking priorities, more willingness to change for the better, and eventually success and transformations. Well, we know that now more than ever, people want purpose in the organizations they choose to work with. And it sounds like that is a key part of how you approach that very balanced leadership style. Bhushan, as we bring this conversation to a close, let's touch on the past year and a half. We've had a global pandemic, social justice movements, polarizing political battles, and shifting work environments. What is the most important way your organization is building on all of the lessons learned and what leadership attributes are most needed in this new normal? Well, Sean, you're right. There's a lot going on in the world around us. So I think about curiosity and a learning mindset. And that has helped to improve not just what we do, but how we do it. And learning to me guarantees both humility and empathy. For example, when I'm exploring something new or different, it just makes me feel discomfort. And there's a period of being unsteady. And that feeling is of one of a beginner. And I think it's an important one to help empathize with those at work that may be new at something or haven't quite had the benefit of knowing what or knowing how to do it. So to me, that drives also an appropriate allocation of investment, for example, in the development, be it upskilling or discretionary effort through time in coaching and sometimes showing how. Another dimension is from a leadership standpoint, continuing to run the cycle of planning and adapting. What I mean by that, you mentioned, Sean, foresight. What I believe is it's important that leaders do the hard work, which is to think ahead and to scenario plan and even create the warning systems, but expect the unexpected and not to be dejected when all that hard work of what may have been a perfect plan didn't quite pan out. So what helps me and I think is, is needed going forward is both passion, but also dispassion to help step back and then adapt quickly. 
So it's elegantly changing and improvising what we work on and how we work. And finally, recovering. So implementing the adaptive plan and learning from the experience. And finally, you know, bouncing forward, right? Which is one way of being resilient. Thank you, Bhushan. I think all leaders would benefit from leading with empathy and curiosity. And it sounds like you can do that without sacrificing performance and accountability. Appreciate that insight. Well, thank you, Sean. It was a pleasure. And thank you to our audience for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast and this episode of our Canadian Leadership Series. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.